electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Keynote by CNBC Events. I'm Tyler Matheson. On this podcast, we bring you in-depth, candid conversations with executives, experts, and thought leaders. Today, a conversation with Reid Hoffman and Sarah Guo about the technologies and innovations that are shaping the future of work. Hoffman is an accomplished entrepreneur and executive. He co-founded LinkedIn, served as a founding board member of PayPal, and was an early investor in Facebook and Airbnb. Since 2009, he's been a partner at the Silicon Valley venture capital firm Greylock. Sarah Guo is also a partner at Greylock. She was previously an analyst at Goldman Sachs, where she advised clients like Dropbox, Workday, and Netflix. They joined us at CNBC's At Work Summit on March 30th to talk about the startups they're investing in today and why right now might be a reset moment for companies. They spoke to my colleague John Fort. Here's the conversation. I want to talk about how leaders can get the most out of this moment that we're in and maybe some things that they should watch out for, too. So, uh, Reed, it strikes me, I was, I was thinking about these periods in time that might be resets or just rethinks, and I, I was remembering that Workday was born out of uh, one of these moments. It was a Greylock investment, um, and uh, you got an up-close look at that. Um, It's now got nearly a $60 billion market cap. It's a technology company that's in the inner workings of work. Is this a moment like that? And and what sorts of technologies, what sorts of processes are going to be more important coming out of this time that we're in? Um, I think it's absolutely a moment like that. I mean, part of the thing is everything from changing expectations of the network that's around the company, whether it's customers, suppliers, et cetera, with you know, kind of delivery through online, internet, digital, uh, other kinds of things, uh, which even gets to 24-7 potentially and other kinds of things, and also the tools within. Uh, because obviously, you know, what we've seen, and you just had some of your talent council you know, saying this is like we're, we're, we're reimagining meetings and work processes. I mean, this is actually one of the things that we've been doing um, for a decade plus um, at Greylock, not just Workday, which was one of the earliest recognitions of the move to cloud. And the fact that, you know, these things that used to be canonical and used to say, hey, companies will only have all their data on premises. And then they realize there's all these advantages to participating in cloud. Well, now it's, well, how is work and process and uh, and collaboration gonna, going to operate in now that we have kind of an internet-first design. So like, for example, one of the investments we've made is Coda, um, which is kind of inventing your own workflow process. Another one is like Figma, uh, which is doing collaborative design and, and, and other kinds of, of creative work um, that can all be done kind of in the internet. And these kinds of things will now be accelerated and a permanent part of, I think, the, the kind of the work process uh, for companies that are looking forward to, all right, what, how do we take the, the necessity of, of shifts out of safety and help us get to the future where we're more effective and productive and, uh, and, and leveraging this new distributed reality in ways that go beyond the pandemic? 
Huh. Yeah, so Sarah, help us see this from both the, the, the micro and the macro perspective. You sit on a number of boards with these startups. You see a lot of the, um, the, the ins and outs of what they're going through. Who's doing the best job among those companies of navigating the challenges and opportunities of this period, both from a product perspective and then from a culture perspective of keeping a team productive and connected? Yeah, John, it's it's interesting. I was just reflecting on the boards I sit on. Uh, most of those teams were either out of the Bay Area or partially or fully remote before the pandemic, right? So uh, I don't know if that was random or just the, the people I was attracted to, but I think especially some of these startup companies in their hunt for talent, they'd already leaned into the idea that they were going to have a, a distributed and a more flexible workforce. Um, going back to that question you asked about Workday, uh, Workday was really all about the cloud and getting to like this consolidated global record of your employees. And it was all full-time employees. And so uh, one of the companies we backed that's been um, really you know, sort of leaned into the changes in workforce strategy is actually a couple Workday execs. Um, and the company is called Utmost, and, and they're workday for your flexible workforce, like contractors, freelancers, people through staffing firms. And, and so I think we've been uh, lucky to be investing in companies that really saw the trends they were leaned into accelerate over the last year. Uh, and then they have to, they sort of have to live the mission, right? And that um, I think, a, you know, a third of Utmost is actually a flexible workforce, and it's across um, Europe and um, three different lo locations in the United States already, even as a young company. And Sarah, what does that leaning into it look like? Um, because uh, I imagine they couldn't just follow the same trajectory they were on. Maybe there's some doubling down that had to take place, some difference in how either HR or the technology leaders either interviewed talent or uh, put the gas pedal on looking for talent outside um, of, of the headquarters area? Yeah, absolutely. First, there was a, a cultural commitment to how are we going to build a company that feels like a team, even if we're across multiple continents, right? And so there's a real focus. Um, uh, Patty Benson, uh, one of the co-founders who leads engineering, he really focuses on the onboarding experience for employees and, and getting people integrated quickly. And, and that's everything from, you know, how you educate engineers about the code base to a buddy system to the tools that we choose. Right. I think another um, another piece of sort of leaning into it is actually, you know, there is uh, it's, it's somewhat controversial in a startup company to have contractors and a more flexible workforce. People really feel uh, many people have felt you need to own your best own your best and highest skilled employees. Uh, and some of the best people we have, they want to they really want to work for themselves and then create an alliance with the company. Right. And so I think, you know, a huge part of it was just being willing to take the leap to work with the talent that we needed. And Reed, there's this trade-off, I think, between uh, caution and being deliberate and careful coming out of a period like this, wanting to take care of the workforce, and also um, ambition and, and making really big bets. Uh, I, I'm reminded October of 2001, Apple launched the iPad, uh, the iPod, and, and that was really still like post-apocalyptic Silicon Valley. And speaking of contractors, I don't think Tony Fidel was technically uh, an Apple employee when he was working on that. So they were dealing with the flexible thing uh, and with the, the launch in a difficult period. 
How do you manage that trade-off between uh, making sure that the, the vessel sort of stays together coming out of period like this and also making bold, ambitious calls that are going to position you better than your competition that, that might be trying to, to be a little bit too careful? Well, I think one of the frameworks that I uh, usually work with my portfolio companies is how do you take intelligent risk? Um, because actually, in fact, taking risk can be one of the things that's differential. Like you adopt a platform before your competitors do. Uh, you use a go-to-market. You uh, return, um, you know, certain parts of speed or or growth or investing to your business before they do. Because you say, wait, I think we're gonna we're going to see a resurgence in our market, whether it's you know travel or other kinds of things as ways that you might be doing and saying, hey, I'm going to take a risk and go early in order to do that. Now, the reason I use the phrase intelligent risk is because intelligence is where that goes. The risk can be a competitive advantage. Competitive advantage leads to growth. Competitive advantage leads to um, market leadership. But you want to look at, okay, so what's the downside cost? Is it, is it huge? Is it adjustable? Can I monitor it? Um, can I measure uh, how I'm taking the risk and readjust or retrench as I need to do it? Um, what uh, trends or tidal waves lead me to be thinking about what kind of of, of, of risks that I might be taking. And that's partially, for example, um, you know, just like uh, platform. It's like saying, okay, well, uh, you know, maybe what we should do is we should actually, in fact, um, you know, like you'd, you'd say one risk might be, well, actually, in fact, we're going to um, be adjusting and taking our, our workflow processes and, making, and staying distributed a little bit longer. Maybe that's a risk from not being back in the office, but we're gonna be really uh, 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 kind of digging into making sure that we've learned the persistent work processes. On the other hand, you might say, well, we're gonna wear masks, we're gonna do other things, we're gonna get a selective group of the office, maybe what we'll do is start doing a seven-day work week um, with uh, people shifting uh, time, so you have time shifting, so you haven't overcrowded the offices as you're going back to work. Any of these things, it's a risk calculus that you do relative to your, your strategic objectives, and that's partially how you should think about integrating the new technologies, uh, the new ways of working, and you should be thinking about like where does this get you to versus just a, a patch for now. What are you building to you know, 2022, 2023, 2024? Because that's the thing that um, uh, causes you to be in a better position 2025. And Reed, how much design thinking is, is needed to take intelligent risk. Mm. If, if you're going to try a bunch of different leading edge technologies across different areas, it seems to me like you need to have a plan going in. Uh, you know, what platform are those being built on top of? What, how much of the organization is going to be involved in this experiment? How am I going to gather the data to make sure that these things are or aren't working to the degree that they would need to, to have wider deployment? Uh, are there approaches to that that you've seen organizations take that are more or less effective? Uh, yes. And actually, in fact, what we find is that the best work tools actually embody various forms of design thinking. It's one of the reasons why we did a early investment in Figma, because you'd say, well, it's just, it's just an online kind of collaborative replacement of, of certain kinds of design functions out of Adobe. And it's like, no, no, no. Actually, in fact, it's the way that we collaborate together and the way that we make decisions together and the way that we essentially, uh, you know, kind of make uh, key product, business, strategy, customer, et cetera, decisions. And how do we do that together? in a way that uh, is taking into account possibility. Um, because part of design is to say, well, okay, um, what might we learn? How might it be dynamic? How might it change? And similar, of course, uh, with Coda, because the, the, uh, if you actually look at it, you know, part of like Coda is say, well, um, if, you, if you analyze your businesses frequently, 
the key uh, design analysis of your business is what are the key meetings? What are the key meetings that make certain decisions, product launches, uh, product decisions, shaping, uh, new markets, etc.? Meetings are the heartbeat of this decisioning within businesses. Well, Coda essentially has created a whole bunch of templates on a new productivity platform to design meetings to be as effective as possible. And that's, again, a design thinking approach. So you're exactly right in that this approach by kind of design thinking is the way to approach the possibilities for upside and possibilities for risk management. Two things I'd add to this question you'd asked about intelligent risk is uh, we we see companies that are building ways for their customers to try them out that are lower risk than they ever have been before, right? So I was just thinking about the companies that Reed mentioned, you know, Coda, Figma, other bottoms-up companies were involved in like Clubhouse or formerly Quip or and Dropbox. You know, they're very low risk to try, right? A single designer can begin with Figma or a single consumer starts with Dropbox. Uh, and, and so when we one of the reasons we're so excited about, you know, product and community led companies is, you know, one uh, one user can try it. So the risk for the organization to get going is very low. I, I think companies are better than ever at sort of reducing the upfront cost. You know, they'll have pre-built integrations to whatever systems that you need to attach it to. And then, you know, these community-led companies, uh, they make visible the other people who are using these products. And so adoption of them is also less risky when you see what other people have done. Right. So I, I think your your question of the, the framework for evaluation from an executive's point of view of should I take this risk is exactly the right one. But at the same time, on the startup side, I, I feel like companies have become much smarter about reducing that level of risk. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast generating texts in seconds thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com designed for work. Canva. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You've talked about artificial intelligence being an important component of, you know, I guess speeding up or enhancing that decision-making process on both ends. Not only are you involved in a number of investments on Greylock's side uh, directly that involve AI, you're also involved with the AI fund. Um, Tell me, how has this period uh, shifted the way those kind of AI-focused entrepreneurs at the very earliest stage are shaping their ideas and the ways that those products are being deployed? John, one of the things that I I, I see as counteracting forces is you see companies who are, many of whom 
realize the impact that AI can have on their businesses and have begun to invest, not seeing a lot of returns because of the startup cost, right? If we just go back to, you know, what's the risk of doing ML or not doing ML and how do I get going? If the risk is I have to hire 10 people and I need to build a bunch of infrastructure and then I might have this long project and we could end up with not enough data to really do the machine learning we want, that's a pretty big risk to take. But uh, the mitigating thing I'm seeing on the other side from startups is the smart ones, the smart founders are really, uh, they're recognizing that they need to lower the cost to entry for AI. And so at Greylock, we're pretty excited about pre-trained models. So um, advances in sort of sharing data across the community, architectural advances to help people with the cold start problem, and companies that are really you know, bringing that AI uh, workflow all the way to the end user or delivering a full stack service. Hmm. Now, Reed, we're in one of those periods where the market, the public market is running pretty hot and um, interest rates are low, uh, you, you know, consumer risk appetite is there. We're seeing things like NFTs, non-fungible tokens, uh, seizing the, the public imagination. What's the real significance of um, ideas like that at a time like this? How should we contextualize what the real value is in something like that versus what's hype? Well, one of the things, the way that I think about kind of one of the ongoing decade-by-decade decade transformation is how do we become a more network society, right? So it's a network society by us being networked, be able to do programs like this remotely. It's networked in communications. It's networked in work. And, you know, the things we've been talking about, it's networked in entertainment. And I think that ongoing uh, networkification as a platform for new kinds of apps. And so, for example, in the whole cryptocurrency, and actually I wrote back on the paper uh, Wired UK thing off a talk I gave at Davos, in a crypto capital system, which is a new network kind of platform where you can get things out of that platform. And so, for example, you know, NFTs, which was an excellent Saturday Night Live kind of rap on this to try to explain it, um, <laughs> which is a uh, kind of like unique um, uh, goods uh, that can be uh, then built on top of this uh, new distributed platform. That distributed platform could lead to revolutions in assets, digital gold, can lead to uh, revolutions in payment and cost structure, and can also lead to revolutions in how business works, like smart contracts and whatnot. And so all of this then goes into what is the way that we continually are kind of reinventing how our society works, how our work works, how our, our lives and our entertainment works through the kind of deepening and integration of these networks. And that's the framework, as per your question, that I look at, 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 at kind of uh, how to kind of see what some of these uh, changes that are we're currently in the middle of and where they are likely going. Sarah, uh, what's the biggest danger, you think, in this hybrid work environment that we are probably going to be more leaning into over the next couple of years. I, I get the sense that some companies are uh, planning flexibility, or at least the idea of flexibility, without fully considering all of the different little decisions that will have to be made, and perhaps technologies employed to make sure, well, if we're going to have this meeting and some people are going to be remote, are they actually going to be able to fully participate? And are we going to be able to come to decisions as quickly as we need to versus just the idea that, oh, well, people want to be remote. It seems to have worked thus far. Uh, let's go ahead and do it. Are there dangers there? What are the opportunities? 
Yeah, you just hinted at two of the ones that uh, we think most about. Like, we, we need to be clear-eyed. There's so much opportunity uh, in this rethinking of workforce strategy, but it's also just a huge dump truck of problems, right? And, and I'm, I'm encouraged to see companies, um, you know, from, from technology companies to companies like Ford say, like, we are going to take intelligent risk to try to do this. But the, the two biggest issues we see are, you know, one, the, the concern around second class citizens in remote employees, right? Um, if I'm a really ambitious person at Ford and uh, the proximity to executives in, and strategic decision making is important to my career progression, then I'm going to want to be around a Ford headquarters uh, campus, right? Unless Ford can change that, unless all these companies can change that. I, I think the, the second piece is really, um, I hear a lot of leaders rightfully concerned about, you know, velocity and creativity in particular in teams, because the office has been such a good crutch for that. Uh, but I, I think these are mitigatable risks if companies are, are thoughtful about how they um, how they need to be handled, right? And if they try to recreate parts of the office that were so important to how our teams worked together previously. Uh, and, and so in this space, we're making a number of investments, but I think the idea of richer communication and proximity uh, for the hybrid workforce are, are core ideas be behind a company that we're invested in called Remotion, which puts a virtual office mm. on your desktop. Right. And so I think there's going to be a lot of innovation around how do you improve communication and how do you make sure that employees are on a level playing field in the hybrid workplace. That was Sarah Guo, partner at Greylock, and she joined her colleague Reid Hoffman and CNBC's John Fort at CNBC's At Work Summit on March 30th, 2021. The keynote is produced by the CNBC events team. For more information on upcoming CNBC events and how you can join us, please visit CNBCEvents.com. I'm Tyler Matheson. Thanks for listening. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.